Luke chapter 11. Any Bible questions? I know we're a little late, but if you have a Bible question real quick, I can answer. If not, we'll look at Luke chapter 11, <clears throat> verses 5 through 8. Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 8. It says here, let's stand and read these three verses or four verses. And this here is the parable. And sometimes parables are in the middle of a story. And that's the case. And he said unto them, which of you shall have a friend and shall go into him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is in his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because his, of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. The word importunity means shameful audacity. In other words, he would give because he was ashamed not to. God bless us as we take a look in the book for a walk in the world. We thank you for that story Lloyd read and for the promises in your word that you're in control. Thank you for your all power, all knowing, all omniscient, omnipotent, excuse me, sovereignty over all things. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Dr. Luke is our writer today. He wrote the book of Acts and he writes 23 parables in Luke, and 18 of them are unique. We've looked at all the Galilean parables, now we're in the Perean parables, and we're in the second Perean parable. And uh, Luke is writing, and uh, he tells us from the beginning that Jesus is praying. And his disciples, when he's done praying, one of them says, Lord, can you teach us to pray like John the Baptist taught his followers? And then the Lord shares what is well known as the Lord's Prayer, Really, I think that the Lord's Prayer really fits John 17 much better. And that is quite a prayer. If you ever want to read a prayer, read Jesus' prayer in John 17. He prays for us, actually. And he ever lived to make intercession for us. So you know what he's praying for us right now. He's, he's praying that we'll understand or that we'll accept that he's in control. And in your small problems in life, he's, he's interceding for you as well because he knows everything. And so he goes on to teach them to pray. He teaches them, first of all, to sanctify God. He says, hallowed be thy name. And then to seek daily bread and to seek forgiveness and to seek fellowship and finally to seek protection and direction. And uh, he shares his parable with the 12. And he says, if you're gonna ask a friend for help because a visitor comes to your night, comes to your house late at night. It's not convenient. And your friend may do it just because he's ashamed. You know, he may not do it because he cares, but he's just embarrassed that he has to do something. And most scholars believe the man knocking had audacity. It is to knock that late. And others uh, thought the fact that uh, the man was awakened, you know, that he only gave because he was ashamed. So. You know, they're both kind of ashamed. One's ashamed to have to ask, and the other's ashamed to, <laughs> to say no, so he has to give. Hospitality in the early church was huge. 
I guess you understand that because in the early Christian community, they didn't have hotels. Most of them were prostitution houses. We know that by studying scripture. There's plenty of passages that point to that. We know that Rahab was a harlot and uh, others kept people in their hotels and so forth. So Christians usually rallied together and provided places for traveling Christians, especially if they were preachers. In fact, the word hospitality is translated in Hebrews, entertaining strangers. So they would have someone come to their, their, their house and stay with them that was a total stranger to them because they understood they were a believer. And this friend keeps knocking and knocking and he says, don't bother me. And he says, I'm, I, I'm in bed with my children. Now, that doesn't mean they slept in the same bed, but most of the houses back then were one-room houses. And at night, they'd roll out the mat and all would sleep in the same room. We, they didn't have what we have today. I have a four-bedroom house. I had to build it, couldn't afford to buy one, and my friend helped me build it, and I didn't know what I was doing, but it saved me 40% to build it. And we built four bedrooms. I had two boys in one, two in another, my daughter, and then my wife and I. And I thought if I put all four boys in one room, we couldn't do a three-bedroom. They'd have killed each other. But, you know, back then, that's how you lived. You all slept in the same room. And uh, so today we would say, well, that's disgusting. But that's what they had to do because of the lack of money. And so his, his friend's persistent, and he's not going to get rid of him. So he ends up giving him some bread. Now, this is a parable of contrast because we're taught here the main, the main truth is to keep asking. Be persistent in prayer. It's similar to the, the main truth in the one story of the woman who kept going to the judge and kept bugging the judge. It's the same idea here. You just keep asking and asking and asking. There's things I've prayed about for many, many, many years. I started praying for my brother, who's a Christian, to live right when I was like, 12 or 13. And I've prayed for him for years and years and years and years. And he still does things that you think, what does he do that for? And there's other things in my life I've prayed for for 20, 30 years. And sometimes you think, well, it's never answered. And you just want to give up and say, I'm, I'm done praying. But God wants us to be persistent in prayer. That's the main truth. This man kept knocking. We're in bed. We're asleep. You know, he just kept at it. And so he had, he had to get up and answer the door. Um, you know, Scripture teaches us to continue to ask, continue to seek, and if we seek, we'll find. Knock and it shall be opened. Verse 13. <clears throat> He's talking about Praying And, of course, he goes to the Lord's Prayer. And we're not going to cover that verse by verse tonight. I've given you the brief of it. But verse 13. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So God gives us gifts. The, the, the most important gift that we have in our lives is what? Salvation. And with salvation, what did we get? The Holy Spirit possesses our body. So that's a gift. You know, John 16 talks about, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send you another comforter. And so God's given us the greatest gift of all, salvation and the Holy Spirit. But notice the hyperboles in verses 11 and 12. Excuse me, I have a little sinus issue going on right now. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? 
Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? So he, or shall he ask for an egg and offer him a scorpion? You know, so he's, he's given us these exaggerated examples to point out how stupid it is for us to think that we shouldn't ask God. To think that God won't care and that he won't provide for us. It's dumb to think that. God is an, he's an all-powerful, all-knowing God, but yet he still wants us to ask. He knows our needs before we, but we're still supposed to ask. We're still supposed to ask. And he says, God's not going to give you something that's going to hurt you when you're asking for something. And I'll just tell you, share just a, a thing with you about prayer in my own life and what I try to practice. Um, and we don't have time to go too long, but let's turn to John 16, 24. And we'll start here, and I'm going to just deviate a little from the text here. I wrote some notes today, and the Lord laid this on my heart. John chapter 16, verse 24. And then we'll go to John chapter 14. Excuse me. I'm sorry for doing that. John 16, 24. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye receive that your joy may be full. And John 16, 24, let's look at verse 23. And in that day shall ye ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye ask, shall ask the Father in my name, and he will give it to you. Now, who are we supposed to ask when we pray? The Father. Okay? And we ask him in whose name? Jesus. So remember that. When you pray, you pray to the Many, many scriptures that we could share tonight. It's clearly scripture teaches that. I'm not saying it's wrong to say, dear Jesus. He is dear, but I'm, that's not the point I'm making. But so many people miss the idea that we're asking the Father, and Jesus is a mediator of that. We ask in his name. So learn that tonight. Make a note of that. I hear people pray and not hear, but over the years I've heard people pray and I thought, someone needs to teach that person how to pray. So we ask the Father and we ask in Jesus' name. Look at chapter 14. Chapter 14, 13 and 14. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do and the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye ask anything in my name, I will do it. So we ask in his name. We conclude our prayer by saying in Jesus' name we ask. Or in Jesus' name, amen. Or we start our prayer, dear Heavenly Father. Jesus talked to the Father, and we're supposed to pray just like him. We talk to the Father. I'm not saying we have to be legalistic about it. <laughs> There's been times in my life I was right with God, and I'm driving, and a truck pulls in front of me, and I say, help me, Lord. I don't think that I have time to sort through and pray just exactly the way I'm supposed to, but I believe God hears us if our heart's right. So God's not going to say, well, if you don't address the Father, me as the Father in Jesus' name, I'm not going to listen to you. you know, God's an all-loving God as well. So he's going to hear you, but let's learn that, that we ask the Father, we ask in Jesus' name. So that's how you start your prayer. 
And here in the text, the first thing Jesus does is he says, hallowed be thy name. So the first thing he does is he gives God all kinds of praise and glory. And I, I, he just says one thing, but we understand that we need to start our prayer by adoring and praising the Lord. Today I said, God, I prayed, I said, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for all the goodness to me. And one of the things I said was, thank you that I can preach tonight. I love to preach and teach. Um, and thank you, God, for this opportunity to help these folks. And I said, thank you for my heritage, my grandparents and parents and all my uncles and aunts and all my cousins and all my brothers and sisters and all their kids and all my kids and all my grandkids are all saved. You, you know, you can't, don't hear of that. Uh, I've always said to people, if I ever backslid, I have nowhere to go. <laughs> None of my family will take me in. They'll say, get right with God, you know. And I had four sisters to keep me straight, you know. And so I'm thankful for that heritage. Now, some of you have things to thank God for that I don't have, you know. Uh, you know, my, I had someone come to me recently and he said, I just, I, I don't have much retirement. And he went on about his retirement. I said, well, you know what mine is? I said, I got out of Social Security when I was 26. I got exempt. <laughs> I said, if I retire, I'll get $700. That's all I'm going to get. And he was like, wow, I guess I don't have it so bad. See, so, yeah, we all have things that we're thankful for. I'm thankful for the 700, by the way. And we all have things that we have that other people don't have. You can think of maybe memories you have. No one experienced the memories. I've always wished I could have gone in the military and retired after 20 years, but I wouldn't have been able to do what I do in life if I'd been in the military for 20 years. So I thank God, I have the attitude of gratitude and make a choice to rejoice for what I do have. But so we start out our prayer and what do we do? We praise him and thank him. But folks, let me remind you of something. Psalm 66, 18, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, and John also says the same thing. If we have sin in our lives, God does not hear us. Remember that. So if you're not a believer, God doesn't hear you anyway. But if you're a Christian, you have unconfessed sin, God says, I'll cast a deaf ear toward your, toward your prayers. He does not hear you. You're wasting your time when you go to God and start asking for things, asking to bow you out of your troubles, and, you know, you sinned all day, you haven't confessed, and you plan on sinning some more. Just understand that. God does not hear your prayer. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, if we don't, we're filthy. And the psalmist said, your sins have separated you from God. He'll not hear your prayer. And if you hide iniquity in your heart, God will not hear your prayer. When David was in sin, it was two years before David confessed. And he was miserable for two years. Nathan came and said, you're the problem. You're the problem. But think of being out of fellowship for two years. The most miserable people in the face of the earth are Christians who are backslidden. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit's in there. He ain't going nowhere. You wish he would? So you could sin and, you know, the world, they'll sin, they'll brag about it. Christian sins, he's ashamed and embarrassed and didn't want anybody to know. That's the difference. When I was a young guy and I'd been saved, and I was still hanging around some rough guys, and I was doing some things I shouldn't have done, they'd be so proud of what they did, and I was so ashamed. I'm in the same car, having done the same thing, and they're bragging, and I'm thinking, 
boy, am I feeling miserable. I'm so guilty. I feel horrible right now. I can't wait to get out of this car. And I'd go to church and I would ask God to forgive me. And the next week I was with him again. And it was a miserable time in my life. And until I was 19, it took me getting, being in a hospital. God had me on my back. That way I'd look up, right? But when you pray and you have unconfessed sin, God doesn't hear it. Your sin may be to you very small. You may be judging someone. You may be critical. You may have a grudge. It doesn't have to be. We always think about sin, we always think about those big things. And probably none of us in this room do the big things. Adultery, you know, drunkenness. Probably all of us battle with the little things because most of us here are pretty much established Christians as if that young guy right there. So we have to realize that it just takes one little thing to separate you from God. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. I don't believe in the two and a half years I was here we ever took it because I didn't think the church was ever ready for it. But I believe we have unity. I believe we are one. I believe everybody who has aught in their heart towards somebody is forgiven them and move forward. And I'm looking forward to that. But one of the things I will say on that Sunday morning is examine your heart. Don't take it unworthily. If you've got something in there, confess it. Get it out. And it's easy to harbor things in there. So the first thing we do, the first thing Jesus did was praise the Lord. Now, he didn't need to confess sin. So I always tell Christians, before you praise him and adore him, confess your sin. So that would be the first thing I would advise you to do. Our Father, I come to you in Jesus' name and I ask you to forgive me for throwing that rotten apple at Shirley Fowler today. Or making, telling, telling that joke on Gary. You know, Gary, I, I told him before church, I said, <laughs> Gary met his wife at a travel agency. She was looking for a place to, to go on vacation. He was a last resort. He liked it. And I said, can I tell that again? He said, go ahead. <laughs> I'm not sinning, but if I did treat him badly, you know, it doesn't take much to break our fellowship, right? So we come to the Lord. Jesus didn't have to confess his sin, but we do. Then we hallow his name. Hallowed be thy name. God, you are so awesome. Thank you, thank you for all you've done for me and praise you that you made this universe. I mean, this universe. He put the sun out there. We talked about Sunday. <laughs> and the rotation of the earth and the revolving around the sun, it's fascinating. What a world we have to live in. So this little vault thing that didn't go our way, maybe, we're okay with that because every knee's going to bow. Did you know that? And so we're okay. So we praise him and we praise him. We thank him. We adore him. And then we ask him. So we confess. We praise and thank him. Then we ask him. There's two things with asking you need to know. Number one, you'll ask, first of all, for others. Lord, save. I prayed today for my two worst enemies in life. One was a boy I grew up with that bullied me. He was 5'8", 140 pounds in sixth grade. When he graduated, he was 5'8", 140 pounds. He had failed a couple times. He was two years older than me, and I was 5'8", about 100 pounds. But I ended up being 6'5", and not today. I'm 240. You know, I, got, I grew. 
But I still pray for him every day for his salvation. Another guy who constantly, after I became as a pastor in Panama, played softball with him. He'd holler, he'd call me a preacher, and he'd have a, uh, an, an adjective before preacher. He'd call me the something preacher. He's drunk most of the time. He'd holler from the bleachers. Um, one time, I lost my testimony. I grabbed him by the shirt right here and put him up against the backstop. His feet weren't on the ground. And one of my friends said, Brother Dan. And I let go and I said, I'm so sorry. We ended up fishing together and stuff, but he's never been saved. So in 40 years of ministry, so one time, I got so mad, I wanted to pound him into the ground. <laughs> and I could have, and that's my old nature talking. You know, that was my old nature then and now, right? And God just crushed my heart. So I decided I'm going to pray for his salvation. And I pray for his salvation every day. And that's been 30-some years ago. I was 29. That's, ooh, that's scary. That's... 35 years ago, young pastor grabbed a hold of someone. And I thought, I'm glad no one was in the dugout except a brother. I'm glad no one saw it. He saw it. So I pray every day for his salvation, for the bully and for his. And I pray for some other people I don't really care for. If I don't like somebody, I start praying for them. It's the only way I can get through it. And then last, you know, I, I pray for my grandkids' salvation, future generations' salvation, pray for some neighbors. Uh, I, I pray for you every day. And then last, I'll ask for something for myself because I know that that's honoring of God. And that's how I pray. And, and, and we notice that Jesus prayed to his Father. Now, he didn't need to confess anything, but he praised the Lord. He, he, he reverenced his Father. So back to our sheet, and we've got to close in a few minutes. Well, we're not so late, but um, we know we need to remember the main truth, be persistent in prayer. And notice we're on verse page 49 now. What kind of friend are you? Are you a fair-weathered friend or a faithful friend? Would you open the door for somebody in the middle of the night and help them? It's tough stuff. We used to have a thing we'd call someone a fair-weathered friend. You ever had someone that's only nice to you when they want something? And you know they're a fair-weathered friend. They're not faithful. They'll shun you and ignore you and walk by you unless they need something. Then they ask you, they're real nice when they need something. You, you can recognize that. You can see those kind of mile away. And we all have those in our life. Don't be one of those. Be a faithful friend. Would you answer the phone in the middle of the night to meet a friend's need? That's a good question. You can answer this when you get home. And then I have here, read the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember last week's parable? And evaluate your faithfulness as a friend. Would you help someone of another race? Listen, I've been a pastor to 200 black people, and still I find myself, myself sometimes having an attitude towards the black race. And I have to get on my knees and say, God, forgive me for that attitude of mine. Some of my dearest friends in the world are black. One of my best friends is Ed Carter. Ed Carter was on the Marshall football team. When the plane crashed, he had missed the flight because his grandmother had a bad dream, said, don't get on the plane. She was a Christian. Ed got saved, got his master of divinity at Tennessee Temple, new Greek and Hebrew, great, great preacher. 
He's 70 something years old. I met him 40 years ago. We're real good friends. I had him preach in Panama. I had him preach in Okinawa. He's have cancer right now. He's black. He's a conservative. I mean, he didn't, he didn't like, he didn't like Obama. One time he came by my office and I said, well, I guess you were happy to have an African-American first place. What are you talking about? That guy's a liberal. I can't stand his policies. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Ed. But see, he, he's a dear friend. And yet sometimes I have to work on my attitude towards other black people. And yet I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor to a couple hundred black people. I've had black folks in my home, spent the night in their home, eating in their home. Um, I've worn to this church clothing, black folks have bought me. So I love black people, but there's times my old nature says, aha, and I got some derogatory attitude towards them. It's a problem. So I know if I have a problem with it, others do as well. And we have to ask God to give us compassion. Compassion. If we could get a glimpse into hell. Heard a sermon years and years ago, what's going on in hell? If we could just get a glimpse. Sinners in the Hands of the Angry God is a famous sermon that I read one time and read and read and read it's pages and pages and pages. I used to preach like an hour and a half back in those days and I thought, what a powerful sermon, but it's really long. But back then, many people were saved by that sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. So we realize compassion makes the difference, as Jude says. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loveth, and the end of the line is at all times. A friend loveth at all times. Who is called a friend in James 2, 23? The answer to that, you can look it up, is Abraham. Write out Proverbs 18, 24 and memorize it. There is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother is what that says. I know you can't write this, but you can look it up later. What does John 15, 13 teach us about friendship? Greater love hath no man than this than to lay down his life for a friend. And then lastly, according to John 15, 14, how do we prove our friendship to God? If you love me, keep my... Do what I tell you to do. So many people, I'm a Christian. Don't even say that unless you're Christ-like. That's what Christian means. I'm Christ-like. If I say I'm a Christian, I'm Christ-like. And if you're not right with God, please don't say I'm a Christian. Carefully say, well, I've been born again, but right now I'm not living the way I should. That, that's, that's fair. But the word Christian means Christ-like. <laughs> the world expects more of us. They expect us to live right. God demands that we live right. If you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. You'll do what I tell you to do. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word on friendship and the important truth here to be persistent in prayer. Thank you for the example of prayer, how you hallowed your father's name. And we do that today. We thank our father in heaven for being an awesome God, a great God, an all-loving, providing, and sovereign God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.